Father, this morning, I just pray for the next few moments that you'll do only what you can do. Because you are spirit. And you chose to create human things and earthly things and natural things, but that's not who you are. You're not vehicles and bank accounts and big buildings. You're spirit. And we, your sons and daughters, we are trapped in an earthly body, but we're spirit beings because you have moved into our hearts. And I pray for the next few moments that, that you'll do something supernatural is to calm our natural, uneasy hearts, soothe our minds, and give us great peace. It's found in your word. Your word was given to satisfy our hearts and ease our minds, and we have sought after every natural thing in the world except your word. So this morning, arrest our hearts, detain our minds, and help us to become everything that you've intended for us to come because we seek only you, the one true God. In Jesus' name, amen. When I deal with issues like this, it's quite sometimes, it's very easy for me because there's a lot of things in my mind, in my heart that that, that I do know that is true. It's just kind of hard to communicate. And, um, but we've been dealing with the manifold grace of God for the last few weeks. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and it says this, And every man that received the gift, even so ministers the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold is poiklos, and poiklos is a word for multiple, a variety, various things, Matter of fact, it, it can re reference to layers of something. And so last week, we began this process. We used the word called prevenient grace. We've been telling you that there's more than one grace of God. There's a variety of graces. When, you, when you're raised in a denominational church that you only you talk about the grace of God and you render it down to just one, and there is one that saves our soul, that's justifying grace, but there's other graces that are just as important as that. And you will never appreciate being saved until you appreciate what I'm about to explain to you today. How you got here. Because we as Christians, we do not have spiritual amnesia. What are you doing here? I don't know. How did you get here? I don't know. It's kind of like the movie The Fugitive. What a horrible way to go through your Christian walk. So it's very important for me to kind of unfold some things and tell you how you got here. It's kind of like the daycare I told somebody before church. I mean, a Jimmy at four years old says, how did I get here? Well, what we don't do is pop out a a class on childbirth and show the whole real deal. I mean, it would scare everybody to death. We, we just say, well, we'll get to that question later. Sometimes you believers, how did I get here? Sometimes we use, we use words and phrases and symbolism not to frighten you, but, but I'm here to pull back the veil and I'm, I'm here to explain to you how you really got here, if you're saved. 
And if you're not, you can be, or maybe you're well on your way this morning. So I'll say some things today that's not really common to you, but it's okay. It doesn't mean it's not true. So prevenient grace, the word pre in the Latin, two words pre is in front of, and veni, where we get a word for to come. And you put them both together, it means grace that comes before something. It's the grace of God that comes before our human awareness or our decision. And when we put this prevenient grace, it means it's God's grace that is at work in your life long before you were ever aware of it. You just didn't show up one day and say, hey, I think I'll get saved. That never happens. Truly conversion. True conversion. I don't mean somebody talked you into coming down to the front. I mean a true conversion. God has been working on you. So we'll talk about that. It is said that man only has two basic needs in his entire life. Just two. And if these two needs can be met, then somehow psychologist says that a man's or a woman's life can feel satisfied or complete. The first one is to be loved and to be loved unconditionally, but to be loved. To be loved. Anybody here loved? So the first basic need that you have as a Christian or as an individual is to be loved. 1 John 4 through 10 through 11 talks about that, how God first loved us. He loved us before we loved him. And so he says, now then, because we've been loved by God first, we are free and we're encouraged to love others the way that God loves us. Here's the good thing about it. If you need love in your heart, remember this, that God loved you before you loved him. And unfortunately, you're looking in this carnival mirror of a person that you, you ever been to a carnival mirror and you look at that thing, I mean, you're elongated and you're short and, you know, it does funky things. That's the way sometimes when you look into other people who you are, they'll always distort who you really are. <clears throat> God will tell you exactly who you are in his sight. And if, and if he'll tell you, if, if, if he'll tell you that, that you, you look goofy, well, well, you, you probably look goofy, but he'll help you straighten up. That's the deal. But number two is for us to have a purpose in life. To be loved <clears throat> and to have a purpose. And by definition of a purpose, I mean that purpose means my life counts. My life matters. My life has made a difference in the life of someone else. So when you use the word purpose, not to requote anything that Rick Warren has said, it just means this. To have a purpose means my life matters, my life counts, and my life is making a difference in someone else's life. So God, God deals with a purpose. So this is found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says this. I know what I'm doing, and I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you've hoped for. Well, you've heard me say this and do this, but any time that I read Scripture in this setting, that I always will add my name to it. Always. When you see a verse says, if you don't straighten up, you're going to go to hell, I'll go ahead and put my name in there. <clears throat> so this is what it, when I, when I do this, because it makes it more personable to me. It's kind of like this. Have you ever just get letters in the mail and it says resident? What do you do with that? I put it in the neighbor's mailbox just to play a trick on him. Huh? So you get a letter in the mail, and it says, especially from the IRS, but it says residence. When it says residence, I guarantee you, 10 times out of 10, I'll throw it away. Because you know what? They don't know who I am or care anything about me. They're just sending mails out to everybody on the block. 
When will you realize as the people of God, he's just not sending letters out to residents. He's not giving the Bible just for anybody that comes along and say, here, read this, it'll change your life because it won't. It may make you more miserable. But anytime that a letter is written from my wife and it's addressed to me, don't you even think about opening it. Especially when there's a heart beside it. <laughs> so anytime that I find principles in the Word of God, I'll always put my name in it. And it makes it more personable. And so when I do that, it says something like this. I know what I'm doing, and I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of Jody and not to abandon him. Plans to give Jody the future that she has hoped for. And if you'll take these two keys, that you are loved and you have a purpose, that these two keys will not only influence your own life, but it will change your community, it will change your home, it will change your world. You are loved by God and you have a purpose and that purpose he has set in motion to you. Now, last week we gave you the word and the topic of prevenient grace and it's new to you. Has anybody here never heard the word prevenient grace? It's not a trick question. Raise them high. Okay. It's grace that comes before you being saved. That's justifying grace. Examples of prevenient grace, there's many in the Bible, but I'll give you three. God would Noah to build an ark to save he and his family, Genesis 9. God nudged Moses, Exodus 3, to become the deliverer of the children of Israel of Egypt. In Genesis 12, God pursued Abraham so he would establish his seed so that Christ, our Savior, would come to earth. Before God actually changed these men and converted these men, God had what we were referred to as a courtship, a love affair. God was romancing these men. But I mean, we just didn't walk in church and say, okay, I'm here, God, sign me up. That's not the way it works. In every relationship, there's a romance and there's a courtship and, and there's a love affair and there's attraction and, and there's wooing and there's nudging and, and there's tenderly winks going on. That's the same way God does us. We learn to love him. The Bible said he loves us with agape love, but that's not the way that we love him, ladies and gentlemen. He said, husband, love your wives. That's one term, but he said, wife loves your husband. That's another term. Husband loves your wife the way that God loves the church. He loves us, and God looks at it and he said, I want you. When the husband looks at the girlfriend, he said, I want you. I want you no matter what, but that's not the way she looks you. The Greek word means she learns to like you. You got, you got hair on your legs and you got hair sticking out everywhere and you burp at the table and you don't pick up your underwear. She has to learn to like you. You look at your woman and say, I don't care what she do. I love you. That's not the way she looks at you, Thomas. I'm going to tell you because we've had counseling when you're not around. Yeah. The great thing about this romance novel with God that he loves us unconditionally as his body, but I have got to learn to 
love him. And I know what some of you say, oh, well, I love him unconditionally. Sure, Peter, sure you do. I'll find you laying on the street tomorrow in denial, and that's not a river. We learn to love him. How do we learn to love him? Tell me, because he's good. And he's merciful, and he's kind, and he's just. God romanced these men and a host of others. Because what he was doing, he was, if God just laid down the line without moving their heart, I'll promise you they wouldn't have the same response towards them. Listen to what God whispered to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before I shaped you in the womb that I knew all about you, and before I saw the light of day, before you saw the light of day, I had a holy plans for you. A prophet to the nations, and that's what I had in mind for you. Now, if you're not careful, we can stop there. <clears throat> but let's read five more before we go on. Can we? What's this? What's his response? But I said, aren't we, don't we always have a rebuttal to God? Oh, yeah. Master God, look at me. I don't know anything. I'm only a boy. And God told me, don't say that I'm only a boy. I'll tell you where to go, and you'll go there. I'll tell you what to say, and you'll say it. Don't be afraid of a soul. I'll be right there looking after you. I promise. God reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, look what I put my words into your mouth. Hand delivered. See what I've done? I've given you a job to do among the nations and governments. A red letter day it is. Now your job is to pull up and tear down to tear apart and demolish, to start over building and planning. Isn't it amazing that we have a thousand reasons why that we can't accomplish what God said we can accomplish, that God only has one reason why we can is because he says we can. And not only does he say we can, watch this, he said, I'll help you perform it. God will never instruct you to do something without giving you the tools and the companionship to back it up. You're not in this thing alone. You're not on your own, and you're not by yourself. If he promised it to us, he will perform it in our lives. So, it's often said that before God will reveal, I'm going to say, his divine will for our lives, dealing with our salvation, he first chooses to pursue us, to woo us, to wink at us in order to win our heart. Because the Bible said in Romans chapter 3 that men come to know God because of his goodness. Now I know some of you, you can get to a hellfire brimstone revival and some of you need that, I guess, scare the hell right out of you, I guess. But listen to what Jesus told the rich man that was burning in hell. He said, even if I cause you to come up out of the ground on fire, even while you're on fire and you're saying words and you're breathing fire, it will never change your brothers. Only my word will change your heart. That's crazy. 
The churches today, we have got, we were geniuses at gimmicks. If we can just get a Shetland pony in here or a monkey to play this piano, I mean, we, we, we could draw a crowd. Oh, you'll have a crowd, all right. The whole church of granola, nuts, fruits, and flakes are all in the same bowl. Nothing can change a man's heart outside of his word. Nothing. And you can have all the fire-breathing dragons you want. Nothing will change you outside of God's word speaking into your heart. So it said that he that conquers the heart controls the hands. So this morning, I think some of you, God is already at work conquering your heart with his love, with his goodness, and with his grace. So <clears throat> as we begin this morning, if you're visiting here, you've probably got three questions. And the question is, who is this guy and what planet he's from and how in the world did he get on stage? That's great questions. And I'm going to try to answer those for you this morning. A couple years ago, I gave you this little story, but it has everything to do with provenient grace. Sometimes Bible lessons are not enough. Some of you do and some of you don't know, but, but here's, with, with, it, with every good book and every good novel, you'll have a pretty good start and then you'll have like a horrific middle part and then hopefully you have a good ending. Sometimes it's not all that good, but when my grandson Simon was nine, I went to pick him up the last day of school, the day before school. Then I picked him up and I said, hey, what'd you learn today? You know, they turned in all the books, so they were just doing something in the school. I don't know what they were doing. I said, what did you learn today? And he said, well, I learned you don't show old yellow to a nine-year-old boy. That's what he said. And he still had tears in his eyes. I said, you're right. Wherever I am today and whatever level that you may perceive me, that it, it didn't come this way easy or conveniently. So I'm going to give you about a 10-minute life lesson of, of where I come from. And maybe you'll understand why I'm so passionate to help you change your life. My journey began in a small town in West Texas. In 1959, this young boy that I remember that I was brought up in a church environment, I guess you can say, boy, did it ever get confusing. My mother and father, they would talk about God. They would sing about God. And I watched them at church pray about God. But my father, every Sunday morning, would shake my sister and I out of bed. And he would say, get up. We're going to God's house today. But now then I realize as I look back, they, we might have went to God's house. But I don't think my parents invited God to come to our house. My mother and father never really divorced legally till they were 20, but they were divorced in their hearts long before that time. My childhood memories recall of constant bickering, verbal abuse that was being spewed out on a regular basis like every day. And I know for a fact, I told Gayla that my wife, Gayla, my wife, that my mother and father were separated more than they were together as I was growing up. And while their war raged on that 
we were displaced to my grandparents in Seminole. And we were waiting for either the white flag or, or a temporary truce to be signed. And usually it is in every marital civil war that it's sadly the children that's being sacrificed upon the altar of someone else's bitterness, stubbornness, or unforgiveness. And that was my sister and I. We were being slaughtered. Anyway, at the age 10 or so, one night, being at my grandparents' house, and this set of grandparents was my father's mom and dad, and they were great Christians. They really were. They talked about God. They sung about God. They prayed to God. And, and it was obvious they even invited God to come to their house. And you could just tell the difference. My grandmother always, while we were there, she always made it a habit and a practice to come to our separate bedrooms and speak to us and say something to us and pray a little short prayer over us. One night my grandmother came to read me a bedtime Bible verse and have a little prayer, but this night something was completely different about her. With tears pouring off her face onto my pajamas, she leaned over and whispered something to me in a, in a low, in a broken tone of voice. And she said, Joe, you're a special little boy. And God has plans for your life. And she said, I believe that you'll grow up to be a preacher one day. She said, I know you don't see it now, but one day you will. And she said, let this just be our little secret. I said, okay. So when she left the room and she turned off the lights, she was 100% right. I didn't say a thing. But man, oh man, did I ever feel something. In that dark room, it was as if someone was standing in that dark room with me, right beside me. And for the very first time in my life that I, I felt like that I wasn't afraid. That I wasn't abandoned. For the first time in my 10 years of life, I felt for the first time in a dark room that I was not alone. Little did I realize that I do now that something that I felt and that someone that was in that dark room with me, it was God's provenient grace. He was just touching my life. He was just leaving his fingerprints upon my heart. He was just nudging me. He was wooing me. God somehow, in a very easy way, was just letting me know as a 10-year-old boy that he was in that room with me. Jeremiah 31.3 says that, that I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with kindness. One translation says it like this, that 
As the moth is drawn to the flame of the candle, O oh Lord, I am drawn to you because of your goodness. I never forgot that moment. I never forgot that touch. I never forgot that presence as a 10-year-old boy. Well, so we're going to fast forward about eight years, and our family feud is still raging on. Nothing has changed much, but now then at the age of 18, that I had the money and the means to get out of the house. And at 18, I'll tell you that my life was pretty well out of control, pretty well. And because of, and I hate to say this, but because it was out of control, that I know this morning that I have a few lambs and I have a couple of sheep and I got a lot of old goats. So I'm not going to talk about my past. But if there's anything that I've learned in 33 years of knowing a relationship with God, it is this, that God's prevenient grace will prevent us from moving so far from God that we cannot feel nor respond to his love. And I want to say that again to you. God's prevenient grace prevents us from moving so far away from God that we cannot feel nor respond to his love. And we all try to prove that wrong, but we cannot. Well, toward the end of my senior year at Long Grove High, anybody here from Long Grove? Oh, baby. Our senior class took a field trip to Oklahoma City. The science class did. To, and we were going to the Oklahoma City Zoo to document and debate later the connection between man and monkeys. But anyway, late in the day that evening, that a voice came over the loudspeaker of the Oklahoma City Zoo and it said something like this. In 15 minutes, the zoo will be closing. Please make your way to the front gate. And there's a short pause, and then this same voice says, you do not want to be here after dark. So there was another pause, and then there was a tone of a horn, kind of like a French horn, the key of B flat, for about 20 seconds. And it was broadcasted all over the zoo. And the guy that was with me was Russell Denny, and, and he said, wonder what that was. And I said, I don't know, but I'm getting out of here. And little did I realize that God was about to visit me again. And he was going to visit me again, not in a quiet church service between the first and second verse of Just As I Am. But God was going to meet me between the rhinos and the hippos. And the alarm that I learned later when I got to the bus that it was a daily routine for the animals. And it was a signal at the end of each day to let these animals know that they were about to be fed. And before I made it to the front gates, all of these haunting hounds of, of desperation that seemed to be from the entire zoo were crying out. Empty stomachs crying out. And I was paralyzed by this as I listened to this 
orchestrated sounds of a safari, this choir of chaos that was crying out. The same noise was making in my heart as well. Sounds of loneliness and hollowness and emptiness. And when I heard this, this tremendous noise of, of chaos of sounds, it was the same sounds that was being echoed in my heart. And at that moment, there seemed to be a huge hole in my heart. And my spirit becomes so heavy while I just stood there paralyzed. And I remember Russell asked me, what's wrong? It felt like my spirit weighed half the weight of my body. And I remember trying to hide my tears that I rushed past him and rushed past the gates and made my way to the back seat of the bus with tears running down my face. And once again, that very familiar presence that I remembered as a boy, that something or that someone that was beside me had met me again. And you guessed it. It was God's provenient grace that was with me again. He was nudging me. He was pulling at my heartstrings. God was just reminding me, Philip, that he had never left me. And on that back, on that bus, in the back seat on the dark I-35 interstate road back to Ardmore, all by myself, without a preacher in sight, I gave my sins to God. And he gave me his son Jesus to become my Savior. And at that very moment, I experienced God's peace. John 14, 27, Jesus said, when I don't worry, I'm about to leave. But when I leave you, I'm going to leave you in peace. But I always like to say it like this. He said, I will leave you in peace, not in pieces. So maybe this morning God's prevenient grace is already at work in your lives right now. Maybe at this very moment God is nudging you and wooing you. He's just simply tugging at your heart. He's just simply whispering into your ears that He loves you. Stop and think about it just for a moment. Why are you here today? Did you just happen here? Is your destiny just a coin toss or are the results of the roll of the dice? The cancer that should have killed you didn't. The drug overdose that should have did you in could not. Why are you even here today? The truth of the matter is that God has always loved you. And God has always had a plan and a purpose for your life. You see, provenient grace has always been watching and waiting over you until you made your commitment to Christ.
God's prevenient grace, Chuck, has always been watching and waiting over you until you made your commitment to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. So today, for me, everything's pretty good. I got to marry the love of my life. We'll celebrate in 42 years, our anniversary. Been a lot of work on my part, I understand. I think I have six wonderful grandkids. Do I have six? Right now, I got baby bus coming. I got a wonderful great-grandson, Ollie. I got a beautiful daughter-in-law, beautiful sons. I belong to a wonderful, loving, thriving church family. I get to go to cruise a lot. Life is good. God is good. In the daycare community, they call me Papa Jody. Sounds like one of the old cronies on the Godfather movie, doesn't it? But it is said that the most two difficult things in our life is these two things is to be someone who you're not and not to be someone who you are. And my prayer for you this morning is that you may fully come to realize that God's prevenient grace has always been calling you, nudging you, pulling at your heartstrings, winking at you into a loving relationship with His Son, Jesus. And don't you ever forget this morning, you are loved. You have a purpose. And God has great plans for your life. You may be here this morning that you have never ever made a personal commitment to Jesus. You have never really surrendered your life to him but you know what it's like with every head bowed you know what it's like to be in a dark place you know what it's like to be alone you know what it's like to be abandoned You know what it's like to be betrayed. You know what it's like for someone to tell you that I do not love you anymore. And you know what it's like for the entire zoo in Oklahoma City to cry out. Cries of hunger. Haunting sounds of desperation. Sounds of you'll never be good enough. You'll never be lovely enough. You'll never be enough for anyone to love you. You're in a dark place today. And you may not can see a thing that has anything to do with your future 
But my prayer for you this morning is this. That God's provenient grace will stand near with you. And you will feel his presence. He's letting you know today, this morning, that he's never left you. As a little girl growing up being tormented. As an addict in a rehab center. As a father in a divorce hearing. At a graveside service. He's never left you. He's always been watching and waiting and with you. David said, where could I go to get away from him? Even if I descend to the lowest parts of the earth, you're there. And even if I ascend to the highest mountain, you're there. No matter where you've been this morning, no matter what you've done. You're not here by coin toss and you're not here by the roll of dice for your destiny. God has always loved you and God has always had a purpose for your life. And today you know why. Today you realize now why you I told this story one time years ago, but when I graduated from college, I had two best buddies from different towns. We went everywhere together the last year. Graduation night, we already had it planned. Because there's lambs here, we had it planned to go to the library. And the same grandmother that kissed me that night as a 10-year-old was at my graduation at Murray State College that I hadn't seen in over a year. And she came down, and that same grandmother that kissed me, she kissed me again on the cheek at somewhere around 8 o'clock that evening, and she said, I've been praying for you. I went to my room to change my clothes, to prepare for the evening. I sat on my bed. At 8.30 on graduation college night, you hear me, I fell asleep. To the sounds of a door knocking about 12.30, the two guys that I've always went with, they went without me and they were both killed in a car wreck. How does an 18-year-old boy on college not go to sleep at 8.30? He loved me. And he had plans for my life. And here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. 
He put his words in my mouth, hand-delivered. And he sent me to you. To remind you that you're not alone. You're not abandoned. You don't have to be afraid. He's always been with you. Father, if there's any in this place this morning that's never received you as Lord and Savior, you have pulled at their heartstrings. You've touched their lives. Somehow they've always known you. And give them the strength and the courage and the power today to become a son or daughter of God. And it don't have to be an altar call. They don't have to come down the front. Matter of fact, it could be on the back seat going home. Just let, you, let them know today you love them. And as we continue to examine your graces through the weeks to come, help us to appreciate how we got here. And we'll make sure to take others with us. In Christ's name. And all the people of God say amen. amen. Aren't you glad he loves you this morning? Stand to give the Lord a praise offering today, huh? He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. In the weeks to come, we will discuss other graces. We'll try to clear up the waters for you and, and, and make your eyes become so open to His constant presence in your life. Communion service, if you'll make your way. But for 20 seconds, give me 20 seconds. Just close your eyes for a minute. Some of you this morning, you have felt him in your dark times. Some of you were looking for answers for the moment. He never gave them to you. He just gave you this sense of companionship. God brought you here. Why not you? Because he loves you. And he has a purpose for your life. There's some here today you have songs you've never sung. There's some here today you have sermons that you have never preached. There's some here today that have never experienced happiness and joy in a marital relationship, but it's on your way. The Lord has stood beside you. God's provenient grace came to you before you was even aware of it.
Thank you for that, Father. Jesus said with his disciples 2,000 years ago, and he said for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this ordinance of the Passover. They would take the unleavened bread. It was a sign of the omission of, of leaven in the bread, which was a sign of sin. But Jesus said, today, the ordinance will change. I am the bread of life that will come down from heaven. John chapter 6, he said, My father has sent me. I am the manna that comes from heaven, and whosoever eateth me will never hunger again. And then he took the cup, and he said, For 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the Lamb's cup, and they would take the blood of the Lamb and place it on the shape of the door and the shape of the cross. John 1 29 said, I am that lamb which takes away the sins of the world and my father will take my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this and remember me. If this is the first time you've been here, this is an open communion. This is the last instructions that Jesus has given us. You're just coming to Christ. The cup and the bread will not save you. The cup and the bread is a sign of faith that I'm coming to Christ. So this morning as we come, let's celebrate God's provenient grace that's been at work in our lives that brought us to this point. And His grace will see us through. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread. And for every son and daughter of God, let us take it with thanksgiving for what you've done to bring us to this place. In Jesus' name, amen.